0: Comes out of the book of Acts, chapter 18, verses 1 through 17. So please meet me. Acts chapter 18. Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila. A native of Pontus, recently came from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave. And because he, stay, he stayed in Italy. and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to dissuade Jews and When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he took out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own head. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left and went to the house of a man named, named Titius Justice. A worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household, and many of the hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night, day, "Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent." For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime or Jews, I, O oh Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And when they had seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal, but Gileo had no objection to any of them.
1: Series tonight in the book of Acts. And the point of our Passage is Jesus is sovereign over his mission. Jesus is sovereign over his mission. When our TV screens or news feeds were full of images of Russian tanks lining the border of Ukraine. Many of us assume that the shortest war in history would be on the way. I believe that Russia would take Ukraine the way I would take my four-year-old in an arm wrestle. And yet, to our amazement and to Vladimir Putin's horror, that was not to be. And the truth is, no human earthly leader is ever truly sovereign over his endeavors. There is only one, the Prince of Peace, who is sovereign over his mission to bring salvation to the end of the earth. And that's an encouragement to those of us here tonight who Long to see his salvation change the lives of our family and our friends and our colleagues and our towns. Think about it. The unstoppable Lord of heaven and earth says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. Now since Acts chapter 16, we've been with Paul on his Second missionary journey. The gospel had penetrated the cities of Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. And then last week Athens. And this week Paul journeys 46 miles west of Athens to Corinth. On this single mission to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Corinth was famous and Infamous, wasn't it? Julius Caesar built it in 46 AD. It had a population of around 200,000 when Paul entered the city. There was this booming economy, and yet it was infamous for its immorality. 2,000 feet above sea level was the Corinth on which the temple of Ad- Ad- Epaphrodite or Venus stood. There was 1,000 female prostitutes who worked in the temple, and they would roam the streets of Corinth at at night and immorality the immorality of Corinth was such that the word Corinth was sort of put into new words that were being devised to describe immorality because everyone knew what was being communicated when the word Corinth was used and so there were words like Corinthazomai which meant to practice immorality or Corinthosites which was a synonym synonym for harlot and someone said Corinth was the vanity fair of the Roman Empire and so it should come as no surprise to us that as Paul looked back on the way he entered this famous and infamous city he would describe his manner like this he would say the church born there in the city he said and I when I came to you brothers did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Nothing less than the power of God would suffice for a gospel mission in the city of Corinth. The gospel mission there was a fool's errand. But since Jesus was and is sovereign over his mission, fruit was born. And souls were saved. And the kingdom of darkness did take a battering. And the gospel mission is a fool's errand here in Hoylake, isn't it? As the thousands are comfortable. And would say, I need not your God or his salvation. But since Jesus is still sovereign. Sovereign we can take heart and be strong and we can lean on his power and we can lean on his sufficiency and we can lean on all that he is to do for them what he did to us and to remove the hearts of stone and to put in their place a heart of flesh. And what we have in our passage is really four tokens of Jesus' sovereignty over his mission. We've got first, he provides the laborers. Number two, he gives the growth. Number three, he strengthens the laborers. And number four, he keeps his word. And my hope for us tonight is that as we look at these glorious tokens of the sovereignty of Jesus over his mission, we would count them more precious than silver or gold. And all that we need to be faithful in the mission that Jesus has for us here today in this town And in in this place. So number one, he provides the laborers. Look again with me at verses one to five. It says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So it wasn't good for Adam to be alone in the Garden of Eden and it wasn't good for Paul to be alone in the city Of Corinth. And so God brought along Aquila and Priscilla and Silas and Timothy at just the right time to aid Paul in the mission that he'd called him to. Aquila and Priscilla were likely believers by the time that they had arrived in Rome. They'd been booted out of Rome in AD 49 because there was an awakening among the Jews such that uh, masses were saved. And Claudius was so afraid that all of these conversions would. Because conflict among the Jews, the unbelieving Jews and the believing Jews and in the synagogues. And so he sought to deal with the problem by just booting out as many as he possibly could. And the fact that Luke doesn't mention their conversions... But then mentioned soon after them, accompanying Paul on his missionary journeys gives us the impression that they arrived in Corinth as believers. And so they shared with Paul an ethnicity, a trade, and a common faith in Christ. And then there were Silas and Timothy. And they came to Paul from Macedonia with a financial gift that enabled Paul to labor full time in prayer and the ministry Of the word. Jesus is sovereign over his mission. He provides the laborers. At just the right time. And I want us to think about this. For a moment tonight. Aquila and Priscilla. Came to Corinth. On the back of a dark. Bitter. Providence. And yet having no idea. What God had. Just right around the corner. For them. As they joined forces. With the Apostle Paul. Rome, think about this, was their home. They built a life for themselves there. They had meaningful friendships there. Don't tell me that they'd never been tempted to complain. Don't tell me that they'd never wondered what on earth God was doing. In ripping them out of a community where they were having an impact for the gospel. And bringing them to to Corinth, the godless place. And yet they never could have imagined what God had for them as they joined and, and collided with the Apostle Paul. They could never have imagined that they would be instrumental in the most fruitful ministry of all time on the back of a difficult providence that caused them great hardship. Do you know Dennis in Victoria Kuzmenko left Ukraine and their church was dispersed at the beginning of the war if anyone ever wondered Lord what on earth is going on what is happening what are you doing and they fled to France and yet did we all know that already people in France have been converted through their witness and through their testimony And so, friend, we must never despise these hard providences that we do not understand in the moment. Never despair at the hard providences in your home right now because of that unbelieving husband who ridicules your faith in Christ or those children that seem to pay no regard whatsoever for all that you've done for them, because Jesus may well be leading you into a season of greater fruitfulness right around the corner. What do we know of God's ways? They're higher than our ways, and His paths are beyond finding out. From whatever brought you to this church, maybe that was a hard provenance. Maybe that was an easy providence. Maybe it was a a mixture of the two, bitter and sweet, darkness and light. And yet Jesus has brought you here for such a time as this. Just as he's brought this couple to Corinth at just a time as we have here in Acts chapter 18. And so friend, why not aim to be as useful for the gospel as you possibly could be? While you have this time with us, I'm immensely grateful for the Aquilas and the Priscilla's that we do already have in this church. They mean more to me than they could ever begin to understand. But can I say this? We are in desperate need of more because there are 5,000 souls that need saving in this town. And therefore, we need more hands to the plow as the gospel seeks to go forward. Friend, put your hand to that plow in faith that the gospel will spread like wildfire in Hoylake as it did in Corinth all those years ago. And so second, he gives the growth. He provides the laborers, but he gives the growth. Look at verse six. It says, and when they opposed and reviled him, that is Paul, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. Now, we have witnessed some serious opposition to the the Apostle Paul's ministry, haven't we? Remember back in Acts chapter 16, he was stoned in Lystra such that the disciples thought that he had died. But we've never quite heard the Apostle Paul say anything like this to those who opposed him. Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. He's, he's pointing them back, isn't he, to Ezekiel 33 where God said, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, if I bring the sword upon the land... And the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman. And if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. And Paul is saying, I've blown the trumpet. I've warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come. I've I've told you to take refuge in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you die and go to hell, that won't be my fault. Because I've done what God has called me to do. That's on you. But little did Paul know that as he preached the gospel in the synagogue, something was going on. In Crispus' soul. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, he knew his Old Testament. He couldn't fault Paul's exegesis. He came to see that the prophecies about the Messiah could be fulfilled in no one else other than Jesus of Nazareth. But the last thing that Crispus wanted to do was let on that his heart was burning within him. As Paul spoke with them and opened the scriptures to them. But then there came a point when like a moth to a flame he was drawn irresistibly to Christ. And he knew that he would lose his job. He knew that he would lose his reputation and his respect. But in the end he counted all of that as loss. For the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus His Lord, And for his sake, he suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that he may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of his own that comes from the Lord, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ. And so picture this. The day came when he stood to his feet and he walked out of the door of the synagogue, walked in the front door of the next door. Sat at the feet of the Apostle Paul and had his soul fed and watered and nourished in the preaching of the cross. What a moment that must have been in Corinth. That must have sent shockwaves throughout the city. And many others were converted There as well. Do you remember Paul would go on to write to the church and he would say, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. What a church membership that was. The ruler of the synagogue and a bunch of men and women who used to be sexually loose people, and drunkards, and revelers, and swindlers, and ex idol worshippers, and homosexuals, and whatever else, worshipping side by side. Jesus that had saved them and turned it all around friends intense opposition can be followed by stunning gospel growth intense opposition can be followed by stunning gospel growth we don't know what blessing is around the corner and for the persecuted church And for the church in the West that seems more and more out of step with its culture. With every day that passes. This is only going to interest a handful of you maybe. But when John Calvin was in Geneva, he was torn to shreds. And it was said of Geneva back then that it was a place people came to from all over the world. Listen to this. As an asylum A place of safety. All the criminals and evildoers, lost and abandoned people, thieves, robbers, brigands, murderers, assassins, sorcerers, enchanters, poisoners, arsonists, counterfeiters. And the whole band of outlaws and pillagers because no other country has been willing to endure them. And if the church doesn't endure Calvin's teaching today, imagine how Geneva tolerated his teaching back then. So he was kicked out of the church. And he spent two years away and then a fired up preacher basically looked him in the eye and said, Calvin, if you stay away from Geneva, God is going to hold you personally responsible when that city dies and goes to hell. Get back in there. And Calvin said, rather would I submit to death a hundred times than to that cross. On which one had to perish daily a thousand times over. But in the end he did go back. And in the end, Geneva became a school of Christ. And Jesus had the prize for which he died. The inheritance of that very city. Church, be steadfast. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And maybe today is a day of sowing. And maybe tomorrow is a day of watering and maybe the day after is a day of reaping but let's be faithful no matter what knowing that God is the one who gives the growth God is the one who gives the increase and in the meantime we can pray on and we can labor on and we can share as much as we can under the sovereign reign and rule of Jesus Christ and thirdly we see that he strengthens his laborers Look at verse 9. It says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. And do not be silent, for for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Jesus knows just how to strengthen his laborers, doesn't he? He knows just how to do it. He strengthens Paul here with three commands and with three promises. Command number one, do not be afraid. Paul, the opposition in this city is real. Paul, you have no idea how much the devil hates you. He is marshalling all of hell's demons against you as I speak to you right now. But Paul, here is your assignment. Do not be afraid. Command number two, go on speaking. Paul, open your mouth and roar like a lion when you preach. Let there be thunder and lightning in your preaching. Aim to shake the rafters of every home in which you preach the gospel. I charge you in the presence of my Father and in view of my judgment and my appearing and my kingdom, Paul, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience in teaching. Declare these things, Paul. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Command number three, do not be silent. Paul, don't you dare be ashamed of my gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And Paul, if you look like a fool in the eyes of the world, look like a fool. And if your preaching is the aroma of death unto death to many in this city, so be it. Crack on, preach on. But promise number one for I am with you. What a balm. That must have been, for I am with you, Paul. Listen, Paul, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, because you are precious in my eyes, Paul, and honored, and I love you. I hold your right hand. And afterward, I will receive you to glory. Promise number two, no one will attack you to harm you. Paul, I have, I have showed you how much you must suffer for my name. As you take the gospel to the Gentiles. But you're not going to suffer any harm here, Paul. That's my decree. And no one will turn back my hands. No one will attack you. Promise number three, for I have many in this city who are my people. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, Paul. But they will come to me when they hear my gospel preached, so preach. Friends, if we want to be strengthened as we seek to be faithful on Jesus' mission, we need a deeper understanding of the sovereignty of Jesus in salvation. Because the climactic statement Aim to strengthen Paul here, Underscored the sovereignty of Jesus. I have many in this city who are my people. Paul, they don't know that they're my people. But I have made them my people because i predestined them before the foundation of the world. And how often do we hear people say, Too high a view of the sovereignty of God will harm mission. Not in Corinth. It was like rocket fuel that propelled Paul forward on his mission. It was the strongest cup of black coffee that Paul had ever drank in his life. It got him on mission, not off mission. And if it strengthened Paul, then let it strengthen us as well. Now, we don't have a direct word. Jesus hasn't appeared to me. Just put all your mind at rest. He hasn't given me an audible word But what we do have in the scriptures is the promise of God that billions upon billions upon billions upon billions will be saved from every tribe and tongue and nation. So what should we do? Well, we should obey these commands and believe these promises. We shouldn't be afraid. We should go on speaking. We must not be silent. We must believe that he is with us causing our fear to fly let me ask you this friends who is causing you to fear in your life right now as you seek to share the gospel with people who is closing your mouth due to intimidation let me just say this it's okay to look like a fool for jesus when jesus is on your side because when he returns there's only one group of people who will look foolish And that is those who suppressed the truth in unrighteousness, who knew the truth but refused to obey it and closed their ears to the preaching of the gospel. And friends, his mission can't fail. And since his mission can't fail, don't let your feet fail as you walk the path of obedience. Heed the commands, heed the promises and believe them for yourself. Well, lastly, and very, very quickly, he keeps his word. Number one, he provides the laborers. Number two, he gives the growth. Number three, he strengthens his laborers. But number four, he keeps his word. Just look at verse 12 there. It says, but when Gallio was pro-council of Archaea, the Jews who made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, "If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have I would have had reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, then see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things." And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. Evidently, Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, who would taken over from Crispus, had become a Christian, much to everyone's dismay. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. How can we be assured that Jesus is sovereign over his mission? Because his word cannot fail. Because his word cannot fail. Jesus promised Paul no one would attack him to harm him. And that's what his enemies sought to do. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to make Christianity illegal in Corinth. They wanted to shut his mouth. They wanted him out of the world. And yet Paul wasn't even able to make a defense for himself because Galileo did it for him. None of Jesus' words will fall to the ground. Listen, friends, the Atlantic Ocean will be emptied by a teaspoon before Jesus' words fail. The sun will be put out by a corridor fire extinguisher before Jesus' word fails. And Mount Everest itself will shrink down to the size of a, pedal, a pebble on Hoy Lake Beach before Jesus' words fail. It's not going to happen. So that when Jesus says, Iran, come to me, Iran began to come to him. And the best best efforts of their deranged government were powerless. And when Jesus said, China, come to me, China began to come to Jesus in droves. And the Chinese government that's more fit to govern hell than it is any nation on earth were powerless to stop it from happening. Church, he's told us the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord even as the waters cover the sea. And since that word will be fulfilled in the end, we can be faithful right now. And even when we are unfaithful and cowardly, we can go back to the cross. And the word of forgiveness that he speaks over all at the Calvary will be fulfilled in our life and we can be strengthened and we can be restored and we can be revived and we can be sent into the harvest field again. His word isn't hindered by any weakness in us because he is an unstoppable himself. His word can't fail because his kingdom can't fail. And his kingdom will not come to an end because he can have no end. And Jesus is sovereign over his mission. And so let's be faithful in his mission and on his mission. Amen. 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 Well, we're gonna sing that glorious hymn, How Firm a Foundation.